Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to the Workforce Show. I'm Brennan Freehart. I'm here hosting the Avocado Toast Career Show. And with me today is Shannon Turner. Hi, Shannon. Hello. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, no problem. I know you're very, very busy. One of the things that you work on is Hear Me Code. Yes. There's a lot of other things, though. So Got a lot of side projects. So many side projects. <laughs> I don't know how you do it and still make Not it to interviews. Not a lot of sleep. No sleep? Not a lot. So what are we talking here? Eh, five, six hours is like that's about where I'm at. Coffee levels? What are we? Yeah, cu- couple French presses here and there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess first let's talk about Hear Me Code. Yeah. Uh, and then I would like to know the arc of all the other stuff. And we'll do it chronologically because let's just be boring like that. Sure. So. Yeah. I started Hear Me Code because when I was teaching myself how to code, I kept asking everyone who I knew who was already in tech, you know, how do I really make my way into tech, make a career change and make my way in? And everyone kept telling me, Shannon, you've got to go to tech events. They're the best way to learn by doing. So I went and I'd go to these tech events and I always felt outnumbered, be one of the only women in the room. It didn't feel very inviting or welcoming at all. And so, but I was there, Mm -hmm. right? And I was gonna do it. So I made an effort, you know, to, to talk to everyone. And it was really frustrating because I was, you know, talked down to all the time. Nobody took me seriously. And I got lots of nasty comments like, oh, are you here with your boyfriend? Like I couldn't be there on my own. So after that, I made a point to just talk to the women in the room, which was easy. There were like three of us. Sounds sounds like a, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's infuriating though. It, It was so frustrating, but I realized then in talking to the other women there that it wasn't just me. We all had this shared experience of, being talked down to, not being taken seriously, lots of nasty comments. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? I'm self-taught. Why don't I start my own group where we can all learn and grow together? So I talked to a bunch of friends that I knew wanted to learn how to code and said, hey, I taught myself this. I'll put together a curriculum. Do you want to learn? And I had just a a few friends over uh, to, to my apartment around my kitchen table, and I just started teaching classes. It was super informal, Mm -hmm. but the classes went really well. Everyone really liked them. They were learning a lot and they just started growing. My, you know, my friends were telling their friends and, you know, it it grew and grew and grew. Fast forward four and a half years, we have over 3,000 women all here in the DC area learning and growing together. And Hear Me Code is much more than just a class. It's, it's a community. Yeah. And so for the first eight months, I was teaching every single class. Now I hardly ever get to teach because the students 
have become the teachers. We really focus on turning those students into teaching assistants and teachers, not only so it can be more sustainable, but because I really found my voice and my confidence through teaching. That was when I really realized, you know what? I know this stuff just as well as anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I really came into my confidence and learned just how much I knew through teaching. So to be able to create a space where other women can come into their confidence as well through teaching, yeah, it's incredible. That's Yeah, that's really, that's pretty profound. Um, the the kitchen, there's 10 people there. <laughs> How did you? There, there were there were only four four people to, to begin in around <laughs> my kitchen table. Not not that bad. I didn't I didn't mean to uh, uh, ele- <laughs> uh, uh, you know call it larger than it was, but um, but how did you tailor material or a better way to put this is you self taught yourself to code, mm-hmm. but teaching is really hard. Yeah, obviously. It exposes what you might not already know. And mm-hmm. with, I mean, with programming, um, it's really hard to know everything. Totally. Right. Um, so what was that experience like? Uh, or, or was it just organic? Did you feel like tailoring the message, or not the message, but the lessons to who you were teaching and being able to organize your ideas so that it was consumable? Was that something that just sort of happened and clicked for you? Or, or was it um, was it? more intentional than that. Yeah, I think you're you're definitely right that it's a very different experience to teach uh, four people than it is to teach a room with 50 people in it. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things that really um, has changed is, you know, over the years, I've adapted my curriculum. And well, let me back up a little bit. When I first created the curriculum, you know, I was pretty new to coding. Mm-hmm. And that actually ended up playing in my favor because I remembered all of my pain points, all of my frustrations, everything that I didn't really get or understand. And I used that to say, you know what, here are the most important things that I need to teach. And you can forget about all of this other stuff because it turns out, you know, I was self-taught. So it was like, I didn't know that I didn't need to know that or that it wasn't actually useful. And so tailoring the curriculum in a way that was actually super practical, beginner friendly, and exactly what people needed to know, that ended up being really helpful. And I I think that really only comes from being a beginner recently yourself and going through that struggle. But over the years, the curriculum really has adapted because you know, for one, I I taught every single class for the first eight months. Mm -hmm. But also, I go to every class as a teaching assistant when I'm not teaching. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing how people are reacting to the material, where they get stuck. I'm there in the room helping people along. And I see what works and what doesn't. And I'm constantly refining the material to improve it. And You know, I I don't teach very often anymore, but I do one-on-one train the trainers with every single teacher that we have in order to make sure that the teachers are confident and comfortable with the material, but also so that they know what was going on in my head when I was creating the curriculum in the first place and all of the great ways to to teach this material. Where is, so so where is Hear Me Code uh, primarily located now? Yeah, so... I feel like DC is the obvious answer to that, but I'm thinking like, is is it an office building? Are you 
Um, is there funding involved, and, and do you have to do administrative stuff like that as well? There, there's a ton of administrative work that, that goes into it because I have to, you know, secure the venues. I have to approve members. I have to do logistical things like right. creating the Eventbrite, really mundane, very boring things, but essential to, to running the group and doing it successfully. And it varies much like a lot of customer service. But in terms of like the physical space of where Hear Me Code is located is, you know, we rely on venues to, to host us. Okay. And we have had a really great partner in iStrategy Labs that has hosted us since, I want to say, late 2015. That's not a co-working space. That's more like an incubator space. They they're a design firm, and so <laughs> I was way off. Well, I mean, <laughs> but the the great thing is is that they've believed in us, and they've you know they they host a lot of events, but they've consistently hosted us about once a month since uh, late 2015. That's excellent. Um, We're so, really grateful for them. So, Hear Me Code isn't your your primary. It, it's not my full-time job, if that's what you're asking. It's uh, I something I that. do yeah. on the side. Yeah, <laughs> it, it feels like a full-time job a lot right. of the times. Uh, it is a lot of work, but it's a uh, it's a passion project of mine. Would you like to step through the Shannon Turner career now? <laughs> uh, so I I think um, I've really been in the nonprofit world for my whole career. And, you know, I I think the great thing about working in nonprofits is that every day I feel like the work that I do really matters and counts towards something. Mm -hmm. And I feel tremendously lucky that I have found, you know, a career where my love of tech and the good that I want to do in this world have met in the middle. That's great. And so I, I feel very lucky in that. Uh, did you did you set out to to merge those? Like, well, first of all, were you in uh, uh, computer science? Uh, it is the back. It was, was your background originally? No, no, political science. So okay. it's um it it's funny because I I had taken a computer science class in high school, did that for a while, you know, coded for many years, mm-hmm. and then actually got away from it for many years, didn't code at all. And when I came back to it, I actually had to relearn it. And it was very frustrating because when I was younger, it was way easier to learn it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was actually a lot harder to learn it the second time around. And so that was uh, pretty frustrating to like remember, oh, this used to be so much easier for me way back when. And with each passing year that I wasn't coding, I kept thinking, oh, you know, it's it's too late for me. This industry moves so fast. I'll never be able to get back into it. And I just want to say I was dead wrong, and I'm so glad to be dead wrong. Yeah, right. Anyone can learn this skill at any age, and I think people who have more rounded life experiences actually end up making better coders because they understand that not everything is just computer science, that computer science exists to serve people. Yeah. I mean, so I would call that like a product mindset almost. You, yeah. you think about the, the pain point. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, <laughs> but well, yeah. yeah. It, you think about a pain point mm-hmm. that, uh, that I think probably anybody who codes finds is that you you slowly get away from what it is that you're trying to accomplish the more you decide to go down different rabbit holes of mm-hmm. the coded 
the sort of technical aspects of it. And it's very easy to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and just to obscure what the point is in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to that, you also have a lot of side projects. Yes. You told me beforehand you cannot <laughs> inventory them in your brain, which is <laughs> there, unfortunate. But you, There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but... Uh, I mean, I would like to know all of them. One that yeah. I'm aware of already is the uh, is the Metro Map. So yeah. I'm going to leave it there. Can <laughs> you can you give the whole spiel on what that is it that you created? Yeah. So I was inspired by a an article that I read in Wired magazine that was all about um, these speculative Metro maps. The these maps don't exist. They're not real. But an artist created them and said, hey, wouldn't this be cool if, say, for instance, the San Francisco BART, you know, went all the way up, you know, and and had all these extra lines? And what if we actually invested in our public transit systems? (laughs) And it was incredible, right? seem like two disparate (laughs) questions, but they're kind of the same thing, aren't they? Right. Yeah. And so it was really cool to see these imaginative maps that, you know, the, the rail lines don't exist, the stations don't exist, but it's like a dream. And I thought that is so cool. And the article was just filled with all of these different maps. And I thought, I want to make my own for DC. Yeah. And so I fired up Photoshop and I'm pretty bad at Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. Like I can get around, but I'm, oh, I'm much I'm better. I'm sorry to cut you off, but did you self-teach that too? I feel like Photoshop is such a pain. It, it's a pain, but I, I've had a few classes in, okay, in Photoshop. Okay. Not that it really detracts from that. No. I just don't even know where you would start it, trying it, to learn it's like hard Photoshop to know, right? shortcuts, for instance. So <laughs> totally. anyways, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So I, I opened up Photoshop and I'm like, I'm not so great at this. It was taking me all afternoon to just scrub out all of the different stations and everything so I could have like a blank canvas to start with. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the afternoon, I was like, why am I wasting my time with this? I'm decent, not very good at Photoshop. I'm great at making websites. Why not instead of making one Metro map, why don't I make a website that lets me make Metro maps? Then I can make all the maps I want. Was it obvious when you were like brushing, I can't even use the right verbs, but yeah. whatever you were doing in Photoshop, that this could be done programmatically? I I thought about it, but I, you know, I, I've played around with, um, you know, programmatic image tools like Image Magic, and I'm decent at those. I, I have a, a, a Twitter bot actually that, that uses it, hmm. um, but it's, it's not very robust, or maybe I just don't know how to use it that well. But I was like, you know, there's got to be a way to do this. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because I almost gave up making Metro Map Maker about three or four times. But I always start with a sketch. I sketch it out on paper and like draw out what I want to uh, appear on the web page. And so I started with like a really crude drawing of the Metro Map. And I played with a lot of Microsoft Paint as a kid. Oh, yeah. You know, zooming in like as small as you can so like you can see the giant, giant pixels uh-huh. and like making all of these fine details and pixel art. And so I think my experiences playing with Microsoft Paint as a kid actually ended up informing how I created Metro Map Maker because I created 
on the you know air quote page mm-hmm. um, a a set of um, graph paper with like blue squares and so I thought you know here on these blue squares I'm gonna draw and I'm going to like paint this metro map so it's gonna be like a metro flavored paint and so I have my rail lines I have my stations I have my eraser and that was like the notes that I had written in my notebook. Right. That was the the dream of Metro Mapmaker. Took me a long time to figure out how to do it. Yeah. But after a few months of tinkering around, I had it, and it was so exciting. You, I mean, it sounds like you kind of just built an MS Paint application. Yeah, from kind scratch. of. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's, of course, that was really onerous. <laughs> um, uh, is there anything you're working on now? So. One project that I just finished in uh, December, which I'm I'm really happy about, um, is a virtual reality app that lets you see the stars without light pollution, without clouds, and you know, living in DC, I can hardly ever see yeah, the stars, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I want to though, right? And so it works on you know any smartphone, you know Android or iOS. And you get like a, a Google Cardboard VR headset. It's like a $5, like literally a cardboard headset mm-hmm. with these little uh, glass lenses in there. You stick your phone in there, you turn on the app, and you look up and you can see the stars. You can see the Milky Way arching overhead. And this was a dream that I had had for years and years and years and I I couldn't figure out how to do it I'd always wanted to be able to look up see the stars never knew how to do it I couldn't figure it out but to go back to your question of is there anything that you're working on right now I've been working on this virtual reality project in unity for actually two years now today's the the two-year anniversary of when I had started on it (laughs) And, <laughs> was it like a GitHub uh, repo upload that you saw or something that no, to keep track of that? No, I, I, I actually <clears throat> have been taking pictures uh, on my phone of my progress mm-hmm. and noticed that today was the, the day because they're all uh, date stamped yeah. of, of when, uh, when, when I started it. And it's amazing to see how much of the, the tool Unity that I, I've learned because um, a lot, a lot of people use it for uh, video game development, virtual reality, all those kinds of things, and so, um, you know, I, I had been, you know, building this this project in Unity for a, about a year and a half at that point, and everything that I had learned up to that point made it possible for me to understand. Oh, this is how I'm going to be able to look up and see the stars completely unrelated project yeah but you know it's it's the process you know it's not about you know the the end product sometimes the the creative process that is the goal itself and takes you to places that you couldn't have dreamed of yeah the the journey not the destination Mm -hmm. very (laughs) very zen of you (laughs) um how do you get the the so, so Unity is the platform, or the yeah, or is it, or is it a language? No, it's a, it, it's a platform. It, okay. it also uses um, C sharp as as the language to like if you were to do game development. Yeah, C sharp, you would use C sharp inside of Unity, 
to like program how things happen. And is that what makes it mobile ready? That seems just so. Uh, and I actually, this this word's perfect. Nebulous for it. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the features, right? You have to you have to be able to, I guess, call a, an API that tells you where all of the stars are supposed to be, given I guess the time of year. Right. So. Or, or and then, I mean, you you go for it here. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there is, um, so it's actually like a couple of things that came together that I was able to, to figure this out, right? Because I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to have to calculate the position of every single star in the sky, you know, for the location and the time, you know, because the stars change place, mm-hmm. not only as the, the night goes on, but also as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, you know, all of these calculations, is it even possible to, to do that on a phone? You know, can can the phones even handle that kind of, you know, computation or or graphics, Mm -hmm. right? And so I ended up finding some open source planetarium software that allowed you to write scripts that would, you know, control things. So I, I actually ended up taking the open source planetarium software. I was writing uh, JavaScript essentially in it to say, okay, set the time to, you know, June 19th, 2018 at 11 p.m. and face forward and then take a photo. And then turn 90 degrees to the right, take a photo. Turn 90 degrees again, take a photo. Another 90, take a photo. Look up, take a photo. Look down, take a photo. You've got six photos, right? And so then you have a full picture of the night sky. It, it almost feels more like Google, uh, like Google Earth. Right. R- r- and, or and, am I, am I... and then you stitch all of those photos together. Yeah. And you have the full night sky. And so if I just do that, it kind of fakes it. Yeah, right. But it, it makes it possible yeah. in order to, to fit it on the phone. Because if I were to do it in real time it wouldn't necessarily fit on the phone or it might not be able to to handle it. The the graphics on the phone might not actually work. Right, right, wow. So by, by fudging it a little bit, it I, I actually change the night sky every month. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> that makes sense. So that you would, way you, would sort you of can like see the... Cache it, I suppose you could say. Yeah, exactly. Um, when is, is that released now? Yeah, it's it's uh, in the in the App Store and the Google Play Store. If you go to a clearnight.com, you'll be able to download it. I like, hope you're charging clear for this. Completely free. The stars belong to us all. <laughs> Did you work on that little that little catchphrase <laughs> before? It, it's on it's on the website. <laughs> so I have <laughs> I have a I have a question. Getting back to the Metro Map, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you. Because people can submit it and they can share it. Yeah. And um, I guess part of the terms of service is that you are able to see. I can see them all. What, they, what people <laughs> are submitting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite Metro map that someone submitted? There have been so many fun Metro maps. One, you know, people use them in very creative ways. Some people will create actual, like, maps of, you know, the the Metro somewhere. Some people will use it for things like here's how we met and it's a diagram of our relationship and then they had what um, was, how 
was it so it was they like, met in dc on a metro so they 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 met at like a school <coughs> and like the station stops were like here's the school where we met and then you went on to go to to grad school here and then i went on to do this and that map is really cute because it has a couple of things that are under construction But people have built um, maps for things like Thomas the Tank Engine. Like, (laughs) it's so funny, like, what people have built with it. I think that the relationship one is just too cute, though. Yeah. Um, So, getting, but this is not at all as linear as I said it was going to be starting (laughs) out here. So, getting back to Hear Me Code, Mm -hmm. um, you built a community, you were saying. Yeah. Um, And what does. What does that mean to you? Or how does community building influence what you're trying to accomplish at Hear Me Code? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I, I think to, to me, you know, community building was really everything that I had wanted when I was starting out, mm-hmm. um, you know, going to these tech events. I, I wanted a community. I wanted to, you know, know people. I wanted to, you know, have friends and go to an event and feel like I belonged. And I think as our communities continue to grow and strengthen, I think more and more people do feel comfortable going to these events and feeling like they belong. But, you know, Hear Me Code's not the only, uh, you know, women in tech group in D.C. There's a lot in D.C. There's so many. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the com- what I really love about it is the communities very much overlap and we we work together. You know, we are stronger together. And I think that that's what really makes the broader women in tech community so strong. Yeah. I mean, I, I think going to going to these tech events the past couple of years, you can definitely see that like shift in attitude uh, that I mean, it didn't obviously affect me as much. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm glad to hear, I, it's just great. It's really wonderful yeah. to see how, um, folks like you have been able to transform the place. Well, Shannon, that's all the time we have. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for, for coming though. Me. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the workforce show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at careercentralonline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.